0: We love you, we praise you, we glorify you today in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. God, as we've uh, gathered today, Lord, let this be to your glory. Uh, let this word refine us so that we can bring you more glory with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through forty eight. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you to not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We've been going through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's, it's important to understand that within the Sermon on the Mount, some of it is hyperbolic, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Hyperbolic means a grandiose speech that really isn't exactly what he means, and so there's a lot of this that goes on within the Sermon on the Mount, most, if not all Christians have read the Sermon on the Mount. I should say most of us know these verses. We know these phrases, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Don't be a tax collector. These are things that people say, well, maybe they don't say, say, don't be a tax collector. And what Jesus is doing in this portion of scripture is he's actually giving instructions to his disciples of, if you're going to be my disciple, this is how you're going to live. This is how you're going to respond. Not only do I want you to believe in me, I want you to live a certain way. It's more than just believing in me. I'm actually going to give you a code. I'm going to give you doctrines. I'm going to give you a a direction on how you should live your life. And if you look at the, the Sermon on the Mount, it really is a whole list of do's and don'ts. And people will say things like, well, you just got to believe in Jesus. There's not a lot of do's and don'ts. And I'm like, well, if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, there's really a lot of do's and don'ts and the hows and the whys. And, and this is why we want to get this right, is that we want to honor God. Yeah. These, these are some contentious verses. Uh, these are verses that are misused. These are verses that are used against you. Uh, these are verses that you will hear politicians use. Uh, you'll see them on bumper stickers and you will see them on walls. Um, and I think it's important that we have a, a firm understanding of what they are so that we don't allow people to manipulate us with them. But at the same time, uh, we're able to apply them to our own lives and live them out and honor God. Amen. Amen. So I've titled the, the sermon today, Go the Second Mile, Love Your Enemies. Uh, why? Because why not? Um, so let, let's start with the beginning part of this portion of scripture. Uh, and it's it starting verse 38 through 40. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants you to take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Now, what's the over, uh, overbearing theme for this portion of, of, of the scripture? Don't be a person that's bent on retribution. Don't be a person that is bent on retribution. Now, uh, as we're going through the Gospels, what you'll see a lot of times is that Jesus is challenging what was the common uh, sense of that time, or what people were saying a lot. And and people will use a phrase like, uh, well, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And people use that in conversation. And Jesus actually referenced that as an example of what not to do, yeah. because that's what people lived uh, in that time. They say, well, if you take somebody's eye, then you, you get an eye. You take somebody's tooth, you get a tooth. Uh, Now, let me be very clear, and we're going to touch a lot of different things this morning. Uh, This is not a statement on pacifism. This is not a scripture intended to direct the affairs of nations and police departments. (laughs) This is not a constitutional edict or military plan. Let me say it again. This scripture is not a statement on pacifism, which is uh, anti-war. This is not a scripture intended to direct the affairs of nations and police departments. This is not a constitutional edict or military plan. Remember, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the God of the Bible. Jesus is in Genesis. Jesus is in Revelation. Uh, Loving Jesus was the one that directed the affairs of Israel that took holy wars against their enemies. Remember that. There's no God of the Old Testament. There's no God of the New Testament. There's just God. So so in the Old Testament, the stories of like, go through, slay them, leave no stone unturned. That was Jesus. This isn't a statement on pacifism. The bloody destructive wars in the Old Testament were all passing through the loving hands of Jesus. God clearly does not advocate lawlessness, nor does he want evil unchecked. God would never tell an abused woman or child to turn the other cheek. He wouldn't look at an abused woman and say, well, just turn the other cheek. We don't have somebody that's beating their spouse come in like, well, just tell her to turn the other cheek. We don't have a child that's being abused and say, well, just tell the child that they're living for Jesus and to turn the other cheek. Jesus didn't let them stone the adulterous lady. He stepped in and said, I'm not going to allow this to happen. Observe Luke 3, 14. It allows military service. John the Baptist did not tell them to quit the military service. John 18, 36 shows that Jesus acknowledges that the sword of violence is used by the world and that he wouldn't use that sword to advance the kingdom of God, but he didn't negate the fact that the world still uses the sword to advance their kingdoms. Romans 13, three through four allows the government of man to punish evil and use force. Paul even goes so far as to to call them a minister of God. Let's, Let's actually look at that scripture. In Romans chapter uh, 13, verses 3 through 4. Romans chapter 13 through 3 through 4. For rulers are not a terror to do good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain for he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil so paul goes so far as to say that when the government uh, has punishment upon evil doers that that's a minister of god executing upon the evil now we're not going to take a sidestep this morning as much as I would want you to, to talk about righteous and unrighteous government. We're not going to do that. I think that, I think that we've covered that before. Let's just agree that God allows governments and force to enforce municipal law. Lawlessness is never okay. Separation of church and state is good. The church is not to use violence, but the state is okay to use military force and violence, and a person in the military or police is acting as an agent of the state, not of their church. Yeah. This is very important distinction to understand. You can be an officer of the law and take an oath to uphold the law and not be doing the work of the church and not doing the, the, the work of a Christian. You're just working as an officer of the state. Same thing when I was in the military. When I was in the military, I worked for the U.S. government. I didn't work for the local church. And so, whatever the U.S. military asked me to do, I would do because I was an agent of the state, because the, the, the affairs of the state are, are different than the affairs of the church. Why, why do I go down this little rabbit trail this morning? It's because I think a lot of times people misuse these verses and then they try to use them for public policy, and they were never intended to be used for public policy. Turn the other cheek is Jesus talking to his disciples and saying, individuals, this is how we're going to interact as individuals when we're trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not negating the reality of of municipal law. He's not negating the need for governments, nations, and laws. He's just merely telling us as individuals, this is how you are going to respond. And the reason why, if you guys want to know, the reason why I go off track on some of these things is because you would be amazed at the amount of people that come back and say, well, you know, Jesus said to turn the other cheek. So uh, why this? Well, we're just going to address it so that we can uh, move forward. The hyperbolic nature of the parts of the Sermon on the Mount needs to be identified. And what is hyperbole? Hyperbole is exaggerated statements or claims not meant to be taken literally. We've said this before. We don't pluck out our eyes. We don't cut off our hands. We don't always pray alone. We don't always pray alone. Sometimes we pray publicly. What Jesus is stating is what our primary primary character traits of life must be. And what they are is we should not be people that rush to retaliation. That shouldn't be our initial response, which isn't to say that there's not a just war. There's a just act of violence. It's not to say that. It's just to say that in general, who we are, our first thought of who we should be as Christians shouldn't be retribution. It should be turning the other cheek. Now, later on in this sermon, we're going to talk about loving your enemies, but this is the crux of this verse. The best response is no response. The best response is to do nothing. The best response is if someone slaps you on the cheek, just turn the other one and give them to that one too as a way to say, do you know what, man? I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you're gonna do to me. I'm not gonna fight back. I'm not gonna come back at you in a certain kind of way. And again, these aren't blanket statements about pacifism. These are just general terms. It's if someone cuts you off in traffic, let them cut you off again. Yeah. Yeah. If someone cuts you in line at the grocery store, let the person behind you go as well. If someone says something bad against you, don't yell back at them. Just let them say something else bad to them again. It's not to say if somebody is trying to hurt your family member, step back and be like, well, honey, turn the other cheek. Come on, guys, help them as well. Put the boots to her. Vengeance is mine, says saith the lord it's mine to avenge. God will take care of your uh, of your reputation. If someone hurts you emotionally or attacks you relationally, if someone gossips, gossips about you, just let it go. And the best way to get back at them is to just give them the other side of your cheek to show them how disinterested you are in fighting them. Just let God take care of it. In a world that everyone wants to assert their dominance, just give it up. Just let them win. See, part of of what you've got to understand is that this was a honor-shame society in which these scriptures were written, and and what does that mean? In an honor-shame society, uh, the the overall view of everybody's interaction was that some people had honor and some people had shame, and so the people that had honor, it was a limited quality when somebody had honor. Now, if somebody had honor, they had to protect that honor at all costs, so if I have, if, if, if uh, let's say if uh, I'll use somebody else, say Kevin has honor and I don't have honor. If Kevin gives me some of his honor, he loses his honor and I gain his, it's almost like it's in a cup and it's, and it's poured into mine and he loses it by giving it me and I gain it by him giving it to me. And so people would always have all these interactions where they would limit the ways in which they would interact with people because they were so afraid that they would lose the honor that they had by being nice to somebody. And so when Jesus goes and he talks to these people and says, turn the other cheek, well, he's really kind of upending this whole system and he does it all throughout the sermon on the Mount, where he's upending this honor, shame society and saying, you what, man, if someone dishonors you, because what they would do is that if you were dishonoring somebody, you would backhand them, pow, and that would be taking away their honor and gaining your honor. And Jesus says, you want, if they backhand you, just turn the other cheek and say, you want, slap me again, because I'm not going to play your honor, shame game. Like I'm, I'm not part of what you guys are doing here. This is so dumb. This is not how we're living. Jesus said, you know what, if they're going to backhand you, give them the other side of your cheek as well. Let God take care of your honor. Let God take care of your shame. Don't play their games. Jesus was preparing his followers and is preparing us as well. If you do this, if you show them how much you don't care about your social standing in this world, just let them smack the other side of your cheek as well. Quit worrying so much about what people are going to think about you as a Christian. They're not going to like you. They're not going to agree with you. And if, and if they do something to you or say something to you because of the way that you live or the way that you associate yourself or the things that you take part in, in regards to following Jesus, don't give it any mind. They're going to put you down. Let them put you down again. Hopefully those around you will see the pointless parts of the society they live in where people work so hard to maintain their image. They would just allow themselves to be embarrassed. Folks, we spend far too much time listening to what other people say and caring too much about what they think. Far too much caring about what social media says or what your neighbors think about. Now, listen, there's a balance. There's a balance between like not caring at all, like, please brush your teeth, but like... (laughs) there, there, there's a balance between like, am I going to follow God and follow what Jesus says and follow what the Bible says? Or, or am I going to allow myself to be pulled in another direction? No, we want to honor God. We want to honor God. Just allow yourself to be embarrassed. You know, uh, some of you heard this story a couple years ago, maybe it was last year. I, I, I have to rotate my story sometimes, you know, being locked up for a year, I didn't get a lot of stories. I haven't had enough people yell at me, but some of you guys remember the story, uh, from last year in, uh, my daughter's playing basketball where I got an interaction with a guy at the basketball court and I, I was thinking about an example and, and for those of you who don't know, I was, uh, cheering my daughter on on the basketball court and this other gentleman misinterpreted what I had said as that, I, as though I was talking about his daughter, and so he began to say mean things to me from the other part of the bleachers. I stood up to apologize to him because I wanted to make it right, and then he doubled down and then really embarrassed me in front of the rest of the people and told me to sit down or else he was going to do something, and then I'm me, and he's him, and I'm bigger, and he wasn't, and 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 I was just like Christian, pastor, public, like all this other stuff, and I was like, and I just sat down, And it was hard, man. Like, it's hard as a man when, like, I, I physically have the ability to hurt people. I really do. I'm six foot five. I'm about 230 pounds. And, and I have a pretty high pain tolerance. I really do. And, and, and I, and and I'm not afraid to lay hands on somebody. I'm really not. But as a Christian, I'm just not allowed. I'm just not. And, and so I'll tell you as a man that when you publicly get embarrassed in front of your family or whatever, like, and other people at the school, the perception is this guy must be a wimp or this guy must be weak or this guy isn't a man. Like that's how society views it. And it takes everything inside of me to just be like, I love you in Jesus name. <laughs> And I use that as an example, not about how great I am, but how great God is and how it's just like, those are those type of situations where it's like, if someone yells at you at a basketball game, let them yell again and just sit down and take it. Yeah. Yeah. But if that same guy walked out on the court and started you know, beating my daughter, I wouldn't tell her to turn the other cheek, yeah. then be the Holy Ghost beat down. You know what I mean? He <laughs> get the right foot of fellowship. Like he it just... You know what I mean? Like, you, you got to kind of have to look at it both ways. It's, it's, it's the way in which we're perceived by the world, but it's not passing off on somebody else to invite. There's not anybody who sits in this room that I would stand back and allow you to be hurt by somebody else. I wouldn't do that, and nor would I allow, or or nor would I think that God would want you to do that. What God's talking about is the individual and how we deal with this world and how people perceive us, that if someone sees you as dumb, or if somebody sees you as weak, or if somebody sees you as not good enough, or you didn't stand up for yourself, God says, you want It's fine. I don't know how or when, but God's going to take care of that guy that said that thing to me when I was trying to be the nice guy. I may not see it, but it's fine. I just trust God. I know he's going to take care of it first Thessalonians 5:15 see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone but also pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all First Peter 3:9 not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary blessing knowing that you are called to this that you may inherit a blessing First Peter 2:20 for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently this is commendable before God who's ever heard of Saint Augustine? Uh, St. Augustine was a a saint from back in the day, and he said a lot of big things. I think he said that God grant me the serenity to accept the things that kind of change. Wasn't that the serenity prayer was written by Augustine? Was it? I don't know, maybe. I do know this that he said, uh, war should be waged without love of violence, cruelty, or or, or We We should have no love when violence is the answer. We shouldn't. We shouldn't enjoy violence. We shouldn't enjoy war. See, what Augustine believed, if if you can justify any sort of violence, then that means that not all violence is horrible. And he used the example of if a man had gangrene in his leg and you had to forcefully hold him down, and then you had to amputate his leg, he would be angry as you were amputating his leg, and what you were doing to him would be violent, but in the end, he would be thankful for the violence that you had executed upon him. And so in Augustine's mind, he said, well, if that's the case, if we can find a situation where violence has a good outcome, then it must say that not all violence is bad. So we can't say these violence, uh, excuse me, these blanket statements that say, well, Jesus says, turn the other cheek, then that way we can't go to war. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, so that way we can't do self-defense. Or Jesus says, turn the other cheek, so then we can't defend other people. It's a, it's more complex than taking one scripture out of context. I would never stand and see someone receiving violence and shout out, turn the other cheek. And I don't think Jesus would either. Jesus went so far as to say that anyone who hurt children should have a millstone attached around their neck and drowned. That's what loving Jesus said. Jesus said, if you hurt any one of these little ones, you should have a big rock tied around your neck and thrown into the sea and drowned. Loving Jesus. Context, context. The New Testament actually advocates violence as a means to end all suffering eventually. The violence of the Lord will utterly destroy all of his enemies. Let me show you in Revelation chapter 19. This is why reading the whole Bible is important, not taking one scripture out of context and using it on social media to try to argue with somebody. (laughs) Revelation chapter 19, that I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, the flesh of all people, free and slave, both great and small. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against the army. Then the beast was captured and with him was the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. That's a different scripture for a different sermon for a different time. And who's worshiped the image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh violence will usher in the end of all things. If this verse is to be taken literally, this violent end of all things by the horse or the man and the horse and the tongue and the sword and all that, then Jesus himself would not contradict himself by saying, turn the other cheek if he meant that violence was never the answer. Yeah, the, the end of Revelation would have been Jesus saying, we're going to allow violence to reign over all the earth, and we're going to let evil overtake, and we're all just going to die. Yeah. Do you get that? Do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. If violence is never the answer, if force is never the answer, then the end of uh, of the story would have been that the Christians step back and allow ourselves to be destroyed by the evildoers of this world, and then we all just die. Yeah. But that's not how the story ends. The story ends is that with the armies of God come in and utterly destroy evildoers and we win. Yeah. So you cannot say that violence is never the answer. Yeah. It is the answer in the book of Revelation. Force, violence, and bloodshed will be God's holy act upon the evildoer. Matthew 11:12. in the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Therefore, turning the other cheek is a hyperbolic challenge to people in their daily lives in regards to social embarrassments, not a blanket response for pacifism and accepting abuse. Yes. Are we all in agreement? Yes. Can we move forward? Yes. Great. Here's some more for you. Secondly, verse 41, and whoever compels to go with you one mile, go with him two. give to him who asks of you and from whom wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. Now, as your pastor, I never want to share a culturally, uh, uh, an anecdote or culturally relevant story that I cannot search out. Me and Pastor Jay talk about this a lot of times. Sometimes in Christianity, we'll hear about things and we'll uh, we'll want to share this story and then you research it out and you're like, that's not a real story or that's not a real anecdote or that's not re- re- real, uh, what real what's really happening because what I don't want is I don't want somebody to Google afterwards and be like, you know, that's not a real story, Pastor. That was bunked. I tried to search whether or not this is true or not, but it's been used by so many people that when you search for answers, all you find is people using the example, not actually the story of whether or not it was true. I'm sorry. I don't have a degree in Roman antiquity. I'm just a preacher. Okay. But here's the anecdote. And if it is true, great. If it's not, then it's just like a really funny story. Okay. Not funny, but it's a, it's a good anecdote. And so, what people say and what I was able to research and what I found is that back in uh, the Roman days, if a Roman soldier was walking somewhere, now the Romans invented the mile. And so uh, uh, if a Roman soldier was walking somebody, he could grab a, a Jewish person and make them carry his pack for them for a mile. That was commonplace. And so if if he was walking by and a Jewish person was sitting there, I don't know, mowing their lawn or something, he could... Grab them and say, Hey, you got to carry my pack for a mile. And it was only required to do one mile. So then the Jewish person would put the pack on the mile and then he'd have to walk there wherever he wanted to go. And then he could drop the pack and then walk back a mile to whatever he was doing. And so the reason for the uh, cultural context of what Jesus was saying here is he was saying, Okay, so as Jewish people that are constantly made to walk a mile with these Roman oppressors that are over us, here's what we're going to do is that if they make you walk one mile, why don't you flip a script on them and walk two? Because that'll show them. Everybody else is the bare minimum. Everybody else is, you know what? I'm not walking because a Roman mile, I think was 5,000 steps. So they would literally count the steps. And then that 5,000 step drop the pack and be like, all right, dude, you're done. And what Jesus says, you know what? That's not who we're going to be. We're not going to be people that just do the bare minimum. We're not just going to be the people that just do what's required of us. We're going to do more than that. We're going to show these guys that we're going to change the world by who we are and what we believe and how we live. And one of the greatest ways we can do that to these Roman soldiers, to these Romans, is if they ask you to go one mile, go two. Because now you've got to walk two miles out and two miles back. And, And in that time, hopefully they're going to see something different about us. Now, I couldn't find something in the Bible... Uh, that talks directly about this part. But if you look in Matthew 27, Luke 23, and Mark 15, many of you guys know this part of uh, the, the passion story of Jesus is that Simon the Cyrenian was forced to carry Jesus's cross right? And the Roman soldier said, you pick up his cross because that was the power that Romans had over the Jewish populace is they could tell them to do whatever they wanted them to do. So while I couldn't find a direct biblical reference for the going one mile and two mile outside of what our Holy Jesus said, what I could find is a time that all of you know that the Romans compelled somebody to do something against their will. That wasn't their responsibility because of the power that Romans had over people, Either way, Jesus uses this example as an opportunity for people to show their oppressors that they won't be broken by their oppression, to go the extra mile. These are these are terms that some of you saw my Facebook this week where I wrote on there, "Go the extra mile" is a Christian term, and people use this at work or with in school. They say, "Man, let's just go the extra mile." That's a Christian term. That's a term that Jesus used. He said, you know what? If you're going to show people that you're a Christian, go the extra mile. Don't just do the one mile. Don't just do the minimum mile. Do the second mile, man. Do something more with that. Don't just be the person that does the minimum. If someone asks for your coat, give them your tunic also. Don't just do the minimum. Give them even more. Because people who follow Jesus cannot be people who do the bare minimum. That can't be us. Christian people cannot be people that do the bare minimum. We must be generous. It must be who we are. We must give away stuff of value that we can sell. I always, I always, uh, someone challenged me with this many, many years ago. Uh, uh, someone had given me something and I was glad to receive it because it was free and I used it for a period of time and then that thing was done with me. And so I was ready to sell it. And this person said to me, it was Pastor Birch, Pastor Birch reminded me and he said, Hey, didn't you get that for free? And I was like, yeah, man. And now I'm going to sell it for something. And he said, freely you receive, freely you give. And, and, and I always remembered that. And so me and Crystal really try to practice that within our lives is that if somebody gave something to us, we don't want to uh, gain money by selling it to somebody else. If someone gave something to us, we want to give it to somebody else because we sure were excited when someone blessed us so why do we not want to pay it forward to somebody else and say, do you know what? Uh, and, and it's happened with us with many things. I mean, I, 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 I didn't really think about it, but we've given away a few vehicles in our lives. And I remember one of the first vehicles that I gave away was one that someone had given to me. Someone gave me a vehicle. Now, mind you, I spent a bunch of money getting it to run and put tires and everything else on it. But then I gave it to somebody else. Uh, my my wife and and I'll use her as an example, not because she's perfect, because she's got a lot of floss, but we don't have time to talk about all those. Um, <laughs> but like uh, my 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 wife and I, uh, we we have one car that we share. My kids have their own cars, but me and Crystal have a car that we share. And so uh, sometimes there's been times where we've had to borrow other people's cars just because like I don't know people from out of town or whatever. And and my wife, God bless her. Uh, we'll borrow a car from somebody. Now, let me tell you this. If you're not listening, if you borrow somebody's car, you fill it up. Okay? And if you can't afford to fill it up, you can't afford to borrow it. Now, if you're lending it out, get it down to E before you do. Amen? All right. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, don't do that. <laughs> but... Um, So we commonly, we always refill it up, right? I mean, it's just common practice. That's what you do. But my wife, she's so precious. What she usually does, if we borrow somebody's car, we'll refill it, but then she'll also detail their car. Uh, And and some of you have been at the receiving end of that and be like, man, what is this? And she will, man, she'll spend a couple hours out there detailing somebody's car. Why? Just because she wants to bless them. It's going that extra mile. It's more than just like, oh man, thanks for letting me borrow your car, but I really want you to know. Some of y'all are like, do you want to borrow my car? Like man, the pastor crystal detail service. She does a good job too. She really does. Hebrews 13, 16, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. See, here's a, a good truth. If you have a closed fist with your time and your money or your stuff or anything, you don't have the heart of God. Some of you have never experienced what it's like to pay for someone else's meal. Just, just listening to the heart of God and seeing a family and just plopping down a, a, a $100 bill and just saying, well, oh, man, I just want to bless you and pay for your dinner or pay for it on the way out. And they don't even see you and don't even know something about it. Some of you don't know what it's like to figure out uh, where someone pays their light bill, and then go and pay that off, paying for somebody else's tuition. You know, some somebody paid for my daughter's braces years ago, (sighs) and and we were in a different place back then. Uh, We had a lot more debt, and now because of Dave Ramsey, we're debt free. But back then we weren't, and then somebody somebody literally came to us and said, "You know what? We want to pay for your daughter's braces." man, praise God, man. You can't, you, you just, but we, Crystal and I, we've given away cards to people. We've given away other things. But we've given money to people. And here's what Crystal and I realized and that most of you realize as well is that we would have nothing or be nothing without the Lord on our side. We just wouldn't. Like There's not a dollar in my hand that Jesus didn't give to me. There's nothing good in my life that Jesus didn't give to me. And so how can I be tight-fisted? How can I be a person that, no, God's going to bless me, but I'm not going to bless somebody else? Yeah. There's many scriptures that talk about generosity. Proverbs 19:17. he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. Do you, do you think that the Lord of the universe doesn't know who has done what and who will be recompensed? Like if God is God and he is, and if he knows what's going on and he does, there's not one thing that you haven't done that God isn't uh, keeping records for. Now here's what you've got to think for too. Don't use up all your rewards on this side of heaven. Some of those rewards, you're going to do stuff on this side and you are keep looking for that blessing instead of, you know what, man, I'm just chalking it up until I get to heaven because the Bible talks a lot about heavenly rewards. So a lot of things you do on this side of heaven, you may not see your earthly rewards. You're going to get those rewards in heaven and that's fine. But here's what I do know. The generous are always blessed. The blessings tell the testimony. They really do. This is what I notice: The stingy always harbor envy and resentment upon the blessed. They always do because they assume that the blessed are hoarding, and and they're filled with envy and dirty lucre in their hearts because they're filled with envy and dirty lucre in their hearts and they've got a tight fist. They assume that the other person is blessed because they hold on to everything that they have. And what they don't know, because usually the blessed are not gloaters and the blessed and the generous don't out, go out and tell the testimony. Other people see their blessed life. And then they say, man, how come that person's so blessed when inside they're so tight-fisted they don't even understand that the, the blessings come and you just be open-handed. No, I, I, I really, because of b- the Bible and because I just think it's wrong, I don't have time to go through uh, you the details of the generosity of which Crystal and I live our lives, but I will tell you that we're utterly and completely blessed, man. I, I, gosh, I wish I could testify. I'm going to hold on to that boast, man. I'm going to hold on to it. I really will. I w- but here's what I need you to trust me and know is that the blessed are always blessed and the stingy are always have lack. They just will, man, every single time. First Timothy 6.18 compels the rich to be good in works, ready to give, willing to share. Riches were never intended to be a blessing, to be hoarded, but to share. And we as Americans, the, the, the poorest among us are the richest ones on the planet. Dude, if you can afford to buy a coffee, you've got a microwave, and you've got central heating and water, dude, you're doing pretty good as far as the world is concerned. And, and, and if you say, man, pastor, I don't have a lot to give, but that extra five bucks that you may have and you bless to somebody else, watch, watch what God will do with that extra fiver. When you give up on your little Starbucks drink and you just walk in, you buy it for somebody else and you walk out without a drink and you say, man, I did that for God today. I did that because I serve a generous God and watch what God will do with your life. But it also must be noted that this is an admonition for Christian people, not a requirement of government. It's not a requirement of states and it's not a requirement of nations. Nations have helped the poor and used help of the poor as a political tool since Roman times. I was able to find some research about the Romans and about how they dealt with the poor. And it's interesting to note also that in 2,000 years of government intervention, we have not been able to eradicate poverty of the poor. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So even the mighty Romans, 2,000 years ago, were not be able to eradicate poverty. This expectation that we're going to eradicate poverty through government intervention, it's just not true. Jesus even said, "The poor you will have with you always." It's yeah. yeah. what he said. But governments nonetheless like to use our Bible against us to try to raise our taxes. That's another sermon for another time. And it isn't to say that governments shouldn't be generous. But what I wholly reject is governments using scripture as a justification for entitlement fundings whilst denying the rest of scripture. Please please do not use scriptures against me trying to use as justifications to raise my taxes while simultaneously ignoring all the other socially reprehensible things that you allow that are against God's holy word. If you would like to live according to the Bible, Mr. Government, I've got some great ways in which you could implement them. There's a lot of things that would change within this Christian government that you'd like to create, but you don't get to pick and choose and then use these scriptures against me as justification. And Jesus never used these scriptures as a ways to direct states and governments. That's not his intention. He's up on a hill. He's talking to his friends. He's telling them how they are going to live and what they are going to do. And the Bible clearly demands that people of faith will be generous with its own people within the faith and other people. Generosity is a requirement of a Christian church. It is a requirement of the individuals inside of it. And this part of generosity, it's not just the corporate church's responsibility. It's all of our responsibility as individuals within the church. Yes, the church is generous. Yes, the church does stuff. But you're the church and I'm the church. We're the we're, we're the church. And so if you do something generous out there, that's the church doing her work. If the church goes and does something as the church, the church is doing her work. But when an individual goes and does something that that's the church doing her work. And and it's a lot of times it's organic. I mean, a bunch of uh, people went the other day to help the Bergs because uh, Kevin's got some slight limitations for yard work. Um, Slight. Uh, And uh, a bunch of people showed up. Church didn't do church didn't do that. We weren't wearing church t-shirts just a guy from a church that said, this is a guy that needs some help. We're going to go down. We're do it. That was the church doing their work. If you see your neighbor and you help them, if you see someone in need and you help them, that's the church doing her work. And that's what we are required to do. Does the church do more than that? Yes. The church does more than that. I'm just trying to make it clear that you can't lean back and be like, man, the church is doing everything. You've got a personal responsibility as well. You as an individual, and here's what's hard about it, and, and I believe this for the church, and I believe this for uh, individuals as well. Everybody doesn't have to know what you're doing. That's right. Amen. And so, just be, you, uh, this might surprise you, but I actually do charitable deeds that I don't post about on Facebook. Oh, <laughs> Healing the sick, raising the dead, washing the lepers. I took a selfie. Matthew six three, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like you get no, you get no earthly, you got your reward, man. And I'm not against that, man. We post on social media for doing an Easter egg hunt or something like that. I'm just saying in general. You know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm saying without me saying it. All right, let's keep going. There's scripture that says in 1 John 3:17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Yeah. James 2:15 and 16, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is a prophet? And how do, you, how do you apply that in your own life? If you see a need from a brother or sister in the faith and you have the means to help, by all means, help out. Yeah. Give them help. Help them out with money. Help them out with food. Help them out with help that they need. But let me say this. Pay very close attention. Everybody that's watching online as well, don't create opportunities for others to continually help you because you constantly mismanage your life. I'll say that again. Don't go creating opportunities for others to continually help you because you constantly mismanage your life. Get a job. Get out of debt. Get rid of the costly addictions of cigarettes and eating out. Don't be smoking your cigarettes talking about I can't pay my bills. Don't come to me and say, I need help paying my bills, and then the church steps in, and then you show up to church, double fisting Starbucks at $6 a cup. It's just wrong, man. Jesus even said, take that what you have and sell it. Don't don't talk to me about like, man, I got this $900 phone, I got this $1,200 TV, and my kids wear the nicest shoes that they grow out of in three months, but I need help paying my light bill. Because I'm I'm real, like I don't I don't hide behind this like enabling mindset. Like at Faith and Victory, if we help people and we help people, man, I help people, but I don't I don't throw it out to anybody else because it's just none of your business and nobody wants that type of embarrassment. But when people come and they know, we sit down, and we go through the checkbook, uh, and and you don't want that conversation, but we do it. And Pastor Todd goes through line by line and goes, "What's this purchase for?" Yeah. Well, I mean, the, I don't know if you guys noticed, but every month ends. Every, every month ends. And then people are like, man, we went out for pizza and we you know, we went out to eat. Like you can't even go out to Mexican food. It doesn't cost you 50 bucks. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sorry. And people say, well, I'm going to go out to eat the Mexican food. They, well, then uh, get a different job or work extra hours, apply yourself, go to a trade school. Like there's a bunch of places that want to hire and trade people and do much stuff. But you can't just live a life and say, look, I'm not allowed to do other things other people are allowed to do, but I want to do those things and I run out of money and the month has too much and then all of a sudden I can't pay my bills. Come on, man. I just talk about things real for what they are. Put money in savings, man. Act your wage. Progress in your career. And we help people at Faith and Victory. We just don't enable people. Some people don't need a handout, though. They need a kick in the rear. But I will tell you, and I mean this. It's on it's on video so you know it. No regular attending tithing member of this church will ever go homeless or hungry. It's not going to happen. Not at this church, not on this watch. If you are a regular attender, tithing member, you will not go homeless or hungry at this church. I'll pay the church will pay your mortgage. If you, if, if, we have. If you've been attending this church for years and all of a sudden some big thing happens and man I need help with my mortgage. No problem. Come around every couple of years after you're out there living in the world and like man, my, I've blown everything away and now I'm the prodigal and I need help. We'll do what we can. But you say, Man, that's kind of mean, is it? Are you gonna enable people? Are you gonna say, do you know what, man, let's figure out a way to help you get a better job. Let's figure out a way to get you to stop throwing away all your money. There's two types of poor. There's the I did it to myself poor, and there's the I need some help poor. We will always help either one. But this is a great opportunity for us to reset the standard, man. If you know you struggle with your money, man, step up. We've been having Dave Ramsey planned for 10 years. If you would have started way back when, you'd be out of debt by now. Then you can be a blessing. It is possible. I haven't even got to loving your enemies. We had nowhere to go, man. You guys had the out. You had the out. You're like, well, Pastor, that snow today couldn't have made it today. This is all. It's all Bible. Romans chapter. Romans chapter. Joke's over. All right. um, Romans chapter 15, uh, verse seven and eight. There's any among. Stop. Bring it back. Where's Jay? If there's any among you who is a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God has given you... <laughs> If there's any among you a poor man of your brethren with any of the gates of the land which your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart. And, and, and let me make it clear. When, when, I, when I rail on people that make bad decisions, that put themselves in, fi- in financial calamity, I'll still help that person out, man, because I got a heart of grace and mercy. I just I, It's just an opportunity to talk about like, where am I at as an individual and how can I set up my life so that I don't have to be a burden on somebody else? We all have been a burden on somebody else at some time. I've had to borrow money. I've had to need help with my bills. I've, I've had to n- need some help to, to make things happen. That doesn't make you a bad person, but be an intelligent enough person enough to be like, dude, how do I square away my life so this isn't constantly how I live my life? And we as Christian people, we look at people and sometimes it's 100% their fault and they did it, but you still give them money. They've ruined it. And sometimes it's not the time for the lesson. It's just time to put food in their belly and a roof over their head and get them to the next place. But if we're not getting to a place where we're talking about the issue that got you there, it's just going to stay there forever. Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. The righteous should show mercy. We should give. On the flip side of that though, the wicked borrows and not repays. And so if you're constantly taking and never getting, you've got to be a person that learns how to give, not just takes. Here's the third part of it. We've got to love people. The Jewish people at the time justified retribution and limited love based on how others treated them. But Jesus upends this and says, do you know what? We're going to love people that don't even deserve to be loved. We're going to love those people that hate us. We're going to hate the people that curse us. We're going to hate the people that, that that don't even like us. We're going to pray for them. We're going to be nice to people and talk to people that we don't want anything from because only tax collectors go around and, uh, and, and talk to people that they want to be in good relationship with. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 excuse me, verses 43 through 48, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. See, so Jesus likens those people that only love the people that are lovable or, and there's many other portions in scripture that talk about this. And he likens them to tax collectors. We as Christians, our love and generosity can not only be limited to those in the faith who love us and that we love on them. And we can't just love on people hoping for something in return either. Not at all. Love and kindness should be such a, a clear calling card of who we are. But oftentimes we're known as demanding caustic miscreants instead of loving people. Christians should be the most loving people in the room. You'd think at the minimum it could happen at church, but outside of churches, even out in public, we should just be the most loving people that there are. We should be the most loving. We should be the most uh, nice people. Yeah. Romans twelve fourteen says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. When someone does you wrong, don't get all bent out of shape. Just bless them. Yeah. Just pray for them. The Bible says we're supposed to love on our enemies. We're actually even to go so far as to hope good things for them. Yeah. Not just begrudgingly pray for them, but say, you want that person's my enemy, but God, I still want you to bless them. God, I still want you to do good things in their lives. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 9, not returning evil for evil, but reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you might inherit a blessing. And that's what it all comes back to. It's going to benefit us for a blessing so that we were called to do this. Romans twelve twenty. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. This is a direct reference to Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. This is an old Testament principle and to new Testament principle that we are supposed to feed our enemies. We're supposed to give our enemies something to drink. We're just supposed to love on them. You, if you are a, a Christian that holds a grudge, you are wrong. I don't care who it is. You you can say, I love you. I don't think that you and I should be in relationship with each other. I'm not mad. It's kind of like a junior high girlfriend. You just kind of move on. Like it's, we did it. It was good. And it was like, you know what I mean? You don't have to stay friends with everybody on Facebook. You just don't. It's like, I'm not mad at you. It's just like we did it. It didn't work. And we take different buses now. And, you know, bless you. 1 Corinthians 4:12 through 13, and we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have all been made of the filth of the world, the scouring of all things until now. I, I, actually, I actually like what the NIV says with that verse. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. That's what, that's what Paul said the Christians had become. But when we get this self-entitled, self-righteous, treat me a good way kind of attitude that just doesn't jive with what Christianity teaches. I'm not saying you need to beat yourself up or make yourself less than, it. it's just that like, dude, the Bible makes it very clear that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. The Bible says that we should consider others better than ourselves. And so if you go into a restaurant, you get bad service. There's no reason for you to go up and embarrass the, the wait staff. Come on, man. You ain't that good a cook. If you were, you wouldn't been out to eat. They're going to take it out on some, but you don't know what their day's going on. you still bless them with the 20% tip. Who cares? And if the food's not good, just don't go back. You know, you don't have to write a big old online treatise of like all the bad things that they ever did. It's just like, just don't go back. It's fine. I, you know, we go down to this place down here for burritos. I love it. It's so good. But they always mess up my order every single time because they put burritos out like every 10 seconds. But I still go back because it's good food. I don't hold it against them. It's like the lottery. Hey, what do we get? It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Ephesians five one, we're round in the corner. I know it's a snowy day. You guys keep laughing at my jokes. So I'll keep going. Ephesians five one, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And here's when it comes down to uh, loving your enemies, uh, turning the other cheek, and going the extra mile. This is where it comes back uh, to uh, doing more than is expected of you. If Ephesians five says be imitators of God. Psalm 145, nine says, the Lord is good to all his tender mercies over all of his works. If you got what you deserved, you would not be sitting here today. I wouldn't be standing here today if I got what I deserved. God has shown me grace and mercy when I didn't deserve it. And God, and Jesus even said, it rains on the just and the unjust. There's people out there that don't serve him to get Blessings we want to be the arbiter, right? We want to be God and say, well, they don't deserve this blessing and they don't deserve to do that. And we forget that God doesn't look at our lives and say, you what, you had a bad week. So you're not going to eat this week. No, he doesn't do that. He blesses us. And so the way that we're imitators of God is we just go around and we bless people. We love people. We go the extra mile for people. We give more than what is expected of us just because God is so good to us. How can we not be good to other people? Supplies to your spouse, yeah. Yeah. your kids, your family, your church, workers in a store, delivery personnel, teachers. Dude, don't yell at your kids' teachers. Come on now. It's one year. Just get through it and get to the next year. You'll be fine. Your kids can learn a lot by having a bad teacher. They're going to have a bad boss one day. It'll be fine. You should greet everyone even those that have no value to you. I tell you, and, and this is just something that I do. And, and I don't mean it as a, as a, as a boast. I'm just trying to teach you how to do this stuff. Whenever I go through a store and I see someone that's, uh, to, uh, that's mopping the floor or doing something that most people wouldn't do. Like if I'm at a bathroom somewhere and somebody's cleaning the bathroom, I always stop and talk to them. Yeah. It's like, Hey man, how are you doing today? And they're like, fine. Because a lot of people just look past those people and they say, that person doesn't have any value. They're beneath me. They're doing a job. Do they're a person just like you. Yeah. Yep. Ask those people how they're doing. Give them a little bit of love for the day. Yeah. Take the time to give people your time. Yeah. It is sometimes too obvious when people only make connections and relationships with people who can do something for them. Yeah. Everybody's not a business connection. Yeah. Who do you have in your life that can do nothing for you, but you can do something for them? Every interaction isn't a means to bring progress in your life. That's what tax collectors do. Don't say, what if I'm good to people and they aren't good to me? 1 Peter three seventeen, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Just be a loving person, man. Just be a giving person. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. Give them your tunic. Do more is expecting you and love your enemies. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we'd like to invite you to become one. Or if you're watching online, becoming a Christian is quite simple. Just come to Jesus, ask to be given, be forgiven of your sins, be set free. If you've never done that before, if you never came to Jesus and say, Forgive me, Lord. I want to be a new creation. Today is your day. So if you'd like to be forgiven of your sins for the first time today, you'd like to become a Christian and you'd like us to pray with you, I'd like you to raise your hand right now. Say, that's me. Thank you, Jesus. If you're online and you're watching, you can get down on your knees before God right now, wherever you're at. And just say, Lord... Forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you. Don't go back to your sin. Just start living for Jesus. Find a good church that teaches the Bible and go there. If you go to a church and they don't ever talk about sin, it's not a good church. Don't go there. Now for the rest of us, I just pray this morning as you have come here this morning in the snow or those of you that are sitting at home. Man, I hope that some of this part touched your heart. Maybe you haven't been loving your enemies. Maybe you haven't been turning the other cheek. Maybe you've been doing the bare minimum. Just confess before God and say, God, help me to be a, uh, a person that lives out your word. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that we would live it out. God, that we would bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.